Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add-ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Unitanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Beer's about drinkability. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. Yeah. I'm jet propelled at all times. <laughs> How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? somebody who's never tasted a commercial example and this is how you know everything about this beer please you don't i think it's bullshit (laughs) i think it's bullshit too wow are you guys gonna arm wrestle no No. you're gonna teabag fight (laughs) you heard of junkyard wars can i get another high five beavis (laughs) now live from the brewing network studios in northern california this is the radio program for home brewers Craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's The Session. Thanks for joining us. We have a good show for you today. We have Charlie Johnson from Ronin Fermentation Project up in the the way, way, way uh, mountains of California in a little town no one's heard of called Gray Eagle. Uh, and I'm excited about it because I've actually been there. Teresa's been there, too. We've been there together, but not at the same time, if you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Charlie, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for taking time. Uh, we have a lot to talk about for sure. Uh, we were speaking a little bit before the show about uh, you know you you're, you've been traveling through COVID and, and you have a lot of you know sort of stuff going on in your life fermentation wise. So I'm excited to dig in and talk about that. We also have a few beers to drink uh, you know coming up in the next segments that I'm even more excited to talk about. And then third you do a lot of loggers and that makes me the most excited to talk about because the past two months have been like logger heaven. It's been the, 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 the clouds have parted of the hoppy, you know, hazy beers and the, the ray of light that is logger has been shining upon my palate and I appreciate it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just really want to, uh, I don't want to let down all my friends in the Pacific Northwest. That's why I've <laughs> Really giving her a go with the <laughs> So you're so you are a brewer that's under peer pressure. Not at all. Got it. Uh, okay. No, I, I can read between the lines. <laughs> um, no, I just um, it's a style stylistically. I love continental European beer. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite brewers in the world is uh, Sean Burke. Um, Forelands Brewing in McMinnville. He used to be Von Ebert Commons. 
Okay. I remember I tasted that guy's beer and it kind of changed my whole life. Really? How long ago was that? Five, six years back, maybe. Okay. Did you have uh, Ronan yet? Uh, no, but the idea was percolating in my head. So, uh, and, and I'd already been brewing for 10 years ish commercially too. So to have that kind of impact after you've been in the industry that long was yeah. pretty profound. That's so. nice, man. What did you, what did you get out of it? Was it just one of those like, wow, this is super clean or, uh, was it a fermentation thing or, or, uh, I think, um, so you'll hear me say this probably a lot throughout our talk today is okay. conceptualization. Okay. He conceptualized his beers really well. The menu, everything fit really well together, well executed, just everything about what they did and what he's ever kind of done when he's curated things is like, he's kind of just okay. making magic happen. Um, so it's not just the beer. It's just kind of the overall vibe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The cool. essence of the area that you're in drinking, um, Sometimes the best beers that you've ever had are beers that you don't have to sit there and think about. Yeah. Yeah, like for really sure. Great lager, really great Hellas. You don't have to think about it. Like, what are you thinking about right now? Nothing, man. Just having a great beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just hanging out, man. That's why I'm drinking a Coors Banquet. Mm. What do I care? I'm just having a beer, <laughs> man. <laughs> just kick it back. Uh, well, let's get into it a little bit, Charlie. So where did you learn how to brew professionally? Were you a home brewer at the start? Yeah, so <laughs> I started in my senior year in high school. Oh, yeah, okay. So you I were in Lake Tahoe, California. Oh, sure. They I probably mean, hand those out when you get into high school up there. <laughs> my parents were gone my senior year. They were uh, abroad, and okay. my dad had a little homebrew system, and I decided um, my buddies and I wanted to no way, dude. parties in the woods. Really? So, uh, decided to start trying to make some beer and it was total garbage like of course it was like, wait hang on so so your dad had a homebrew system had you helped him with, out with it before so you yeah. kind of knew how to you didn't just like well let's see what this thing does no yeah okay. so, so he would uh you know kind of forcibly be like come brew beer with me yeah okay Ugh, okay dad if i have to yeah and uh, <laughs> um <laughs> Actually, to this day, he still hates me because he's like, man, you made me drink MGD light because I used to take all this good craft beer. So I kind of watched him. We made a batch. It didn't turn out. So I drove down to a homebrew store and the guy was like, read this book. I'm old enough where uh, the Internet wasn't, you know, you still had to dial up to AOL back then. Sure. There there wasn't the brewing network. Um, And things of that nature. Um, it progressively got better, but you know, the, the effects that we were looking for happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically my first brewing job came about because one of my buddies took a keg from a brewery and, um, I returned it and they're like, Hey, this is stolen. Wow. Um, you need to work off your debt. No, <laughs> no way. You were, it, it, so they hired you because you returned stolen property. Indentured servitude. We're like, you have to work off your debt. And then I oh. worked there for like a week or two. And the guy's like, man, you're really quick. Do you want a job? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to see who it is. They hired an underage kid. Yeah, but, for sure. Well, they didn't even hire. They forced you to do it or what they were going to turn you into the cops or like, <laughs> The, yeah, there was the local sheriff, right? Oh, so sure, was, yeah. Small town, right? Okay. He's like, I know you. I know who your parents are. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm busted. 
got so every, funny. Like every brewer in the world's got this like elegant story, and they're like, "I went to Dumans, I went to VLB," and like, yeah, caught being a degenerate in the woods in Northern California. <laughs> but that is sort of Tahoe. I feel like there's you know there's two people. There's the people who drink, and then there's the the tourists. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of it, right? Yeah, so then I kind of, uh, I cut my teeth working at, like, I worked at BJ's first, which isn't that helpful, but you know, we were on a 50-barrel brew house and pumping out a couple hundred barrels a day, so it was the school hard knocks, um, and then I'm like, you know, I need to get a real education, and I just I just packed up all my stuff and moved up to Seattle. Oh, really? Damn. Out of home or anything, and got in my car with my Siberian Husky and went up there and, um, how old were you? Well, I was 22 ish. Okay. That's wild to me, man. I could, I'm trying to think back to when I was 22, Teresa, and I couldn't imagine, I couldn't even imagine changing what grocery store I went to, much less <laughs> just leaving. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so what'd you do when, what'd you do when you get into town? How does that happen? How do you, how do you land on your feet in Seattle? You don't know anybody, presumably you have no place to go and you have a, a largish dog. Yeah, uh, well, I was homeless the first three weeks. Okay. And, uh, yeah, um, basically walked around every brewery just, like, dropping off re- resumes and, like, hanging out and having beers with brewers. And I think one day a guy just got tired of me hanging around and he hired me. <laughs> well, who was it? What, can you, can you, what brewery was it? Uh, it was at the Ram. It was okay. uh, Kevin Forehand. He was uh, one of the original Pike Brewers with Dick Cantwell and okay, all those that that whole group. And he's now at Flying Bike. And uh, I would actually say, still to this day, the most influential person that I've ever like in my brewing career that I've been with. But that guy, he was very bohemian. He lived on a boat and uh, would come in and mix barley with coffee and have that for breakfast and. Um, <laughs> uh, Yeah, then I ended up going to college afterwards, and I got a microbiology degree and food science degree. Um, Wow. Long, long long story short. Sure. um, Went through a couple other breweries. uh, Did did anybody encourage you to go to school for that, or was it something that you thought you needed because you wanted, hey, I I know I'm going to be in this industry at some point. I should probably, you know, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, no one, yeah, there was not really a whole lot of encouragement. Back then, people were like, you're going to learn more just doing it. But I, I'd i taken a bunch of AP science courses in school and went to junior college in high school. Okay, well. so you were dumb. As, you were dumb. I was very autodidactic and liked yeah. to learn on my own. Okay. Anyway, so I finally was like, man, I, uh, I need to know a little bit more about why 152 is a really good temperature for this beer. Yeah. You're curious. You're just telling me. Um, right. But I didn't really want to like go to like uh Siebel or anything like that. I wanted a university um, degree and I couldn't afford to go to Harriet Watt or Vine Stefan or anything like that. That was uh, out of the question. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you had a dog. I mean, you know, what's that? Yeah, well, about? actually, believe it or not, that was the big holdup. I oh. was like, can I still have that dog? <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. RIP to the realist one. Yeah. So what'd you yeah. do? Okay. So you, you, you went to college, you got a degree in microbiology. What happened at this point? You already knew that you were going to be, you were going to be in beer at some point on some level. Yeah. Right. What yeah. Do you do? Um, what do you do? After? I, my, at this point in time, I'm like, I really want to be a QA QC manager mm. at a big brewery. Okay. 
And um, I was talking with this guy, Tom Munoz, and he was, and Jen Talley, and they were both working at Red Hook at sure. the time. Yeah, um, yeah. Back in the day. And they were like, don't go work at a big, big brewery. Keep on working at some smaller facilities and really hone in on what you like and start developing your palate and who, what beer means to you. And I think those those three people were really influential in kind of my life, um, like totally. So like mm. a lot of people have these stories about, hey, I'm, I'm this and I'm a brewer. I have nothing else. Like if brewing doesn't work out for me, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no other, there's no other. There's no, there's no fallback. No, no none. Oh. Well, you know what? I feel like that's, you know, you're all the way in or, 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 uh, yeah, I don't know. Or you're, you, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to finish that. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know. you're I, all the I way think in. Whenever you own a brewery, you are all the way in. Like we all are, you know, it that's doesn't true. really matter if you have another career. It's like, you're still in this 110%. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I guess, uh, I guess I mean, you know, if you're, you, you have nothing else to fall back on. It's it's sort of the same even if you have even if you're working five different jobs to keep your brewery afloat you're still you're still in on everything because you can't afford to lose one thing yeah that's wild yeah so basically then I ended up being head brewer at a couple different spots nowhere of any acclaim um, hey man really it's all right and I ended up having ownership I'm not going to name the brewery but. We won a couple GABFs and World Beer Cup, and um, my business partners decided to sell our facility off to someone else. Okay. And on my way out, they're like, hey, by the way, you got to sign this five-year non-compete if you want to get any money. Jeez. And I was oh, like, I'm, I'm 28 then, and I was like, okay, how hard is that going to get me to get out of? No problem. <laughs> yeah, right. That is really hard. Yeah, contracts are easy, dude. They don't actually mean anything. It's just words, man. Yeah, so um, then kind of reality set in on me, and I'm sitting there with my girlfriend, and she's like, you should uh, – I'm, like, super depressed, and I'm like, I, you know, now I can't work, like, in five states or anywhere where I live, basically. Yeah, and, right. um, and an owner of an equipment manufacturer called me up and was like, hey, I need to open a brewery. We, we were going to build a brewery in Portland. Can you come build it for me? Because um, I just got done building a facility with this equipment manufacturer. Oh, okay. For my company. And um, I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And that brewery is called the Brewatory. And uh, it was Portland Kettleworks up in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And uh, we I built out this whole brewery in like seven months, which is pretty tough and that was like from gutting the building pouring floors oh god yeah I remember we had a party for cbc portland um to launch the brewery and we didn't even have our license the owner didn't tell me and uh, <laughs> OLCC came in and shut us down in the middle of the party it was like a complete disaster oh yeah. <laughs> that's um, crazy man details details yeah you know <laughs> License. Who needs license? Yeah. How hard will that to be out to get out of? I mean, that's you know. Yeah. So I, I got done, and I, I with them and my contract, I went and worked for another equipment company at the time, and uh, still had this non-compete. And a lot of our clients from the old company started reaching out to me, like, "Hey, we're going to expand our brewery. We need help." And basically, the last seven years of my life, all I've done is build breweries. 
is all over the world. Yeah. And uh, distilleries and some wineries. So I've worked, been a part of over a hundred projects now on four continents. Wow. Uh, Damn, dude. At one point in time, I was basically just working in Asia. And it was like Japan, Hong Kong, China, Vietnam. And uh, the name Ronin came from some of my Japanese friends. Because uh, I was kind of, you know, living out of a storage unit. My girlfriend's taking care of my dog. And I'm like, you know, cruising around back and forth to all these breweries. And the guy's like, you're a Ronin. And I'm like, what's, what's that? And he's like, you're a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah. What are you, my dad? <laughs> like, you're a disgraced samurai. He's like, you don't have a home, blah, blah, blah. And we're all we're pretty drunk at a, like a little izakaya in Osaka. And he like grabs me. And he's like, you need to name your brewery Ronin if you ever open one again. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> like, little guy. And he grabs me and picks me up. And I'm pretty heavy. You know, I hold my fat well. And he nice. was like, no, I'm serious. So that's actually where the name of the facility came from. Yeah. So you got forced uh, into it. Yeah. yeah. I, it. I feel like at that point, you can't say no. Really, you can't, actually. No. Like, there, there was no going back. And, uh, yeah, so after a little bit of consulting, I find myself in Hong Kong doing a brewery rescue. And uh, basically, um, I really famous American brewery ended up getting a brewery in Hong Kong. And for some reason, their head brewer was disgruntled and walked off the job. But while he walked off, he cut up the whole control panel and Oh, dismantled the whole brew house. And it was this very technical six vessel German decoction system. And, uh, wow. Like, Hey, uh, you should call this guy. He's like Batman for beer. (laughs) (laughs) And then he, and then he grabbed you and said, if you ever open a brewery, you should call it Batman for beer. And he vomited on you. (laughs) You're saying, sorry, that spot's taken. (laughs) Sorry. We, we're, we're working on the trademark for that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's his consulting business, Batman for beer. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so me and uh, my friend Dave Mentis, he was a Cannonball Creek brewer, and uh, Jason Yester from Trinity uh, back in the day. We all go out there. We fix this whole brewery and end up running into um, the people that I now, um, besides Ronan, I actually, Ronan's my uh, side project. I'm the head brewer for a brewery called Guaylo out of Hong Kong. Okay. And I ended up actually getting that job based off of um, this whole little debacle at this um, brewery. Still to this day, actually, the brewery that we had to go rescue was the most filthy brewery I've ever been in in my whole life. Wow. What was, what, what uh, describe before me? Well, I'll describe one thing for you. So okay. we finish up like today and there's also a massive infection. So we go out with like a mobile PCR lab which is a, you know, a way to detect basically a bunch of different organisms. I don't want to get too deep into the science of it. That's fine. Uh, luminometers, which test for ATP, which every living cell has. And um, we're going around and I grab a bottle of beer and my buddy Dave's drinking one. And I look in the bottle of beer in the headspace and there's a mayfly Whoa. flapping its wings. <laughs> of the beer. And I was like, Dave, put that beer down right now. And he's like, huh? And he's like, no, it's cool. We can drink. The, the video cameras aren't on. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Put the beer down, man. There's a fly inside of one of the bottles of beer. <laughs> it, was pa- it was packaged with, it was packaged, packaged in there. With a fly on the top. 
So, I mean, let's talk about dissolved oxygen levels. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the egg like hatched in the bottle. That's kind of what we were thinking. We were like, like, because it was, uh, Jason went to school and took ornithology. uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, And he was like, that's a mayfly that had to grow in the, in the bottle. I'm like, yeah. Uh, Whoa. That is pretty crazy. (laughs) Suddenly homebrew doesn't seem so bad, you know, like the worst homebrew infection I've ever had is not comparable to that. I couldn't do that. So you are, you are uh, the Batman for beer. So you, you've been rescuing bars and you've been setting up places and you've been running all over the world. Yep. And then you got this job that you currently have. Gaiju was the, the brewery name. Uh, Guaylo. Guaylo. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't yes. say anything like offensive when I said Guaiju, but Guaylo. So what is, what is a uh, Guaylo brewing company, I guess is what the. Yeah, it's uh, the Guaylo beer company. Beer so company. We're, we're based out of Hong Kong. So actually during the pandemic, we've had to go over there quarantine for two weeks. And how, it, how is that? How, tell me a little bit about that process. Cause that, that freaks me out. I mean, I don't even, I don't even go to the store. Um, so there was like five people on the airplane first and foremost, and they were all like U S government type folk. Okay. And right. I had to get a special, uh, basically work visa just to get over there. Somehow these guys pulled off the visa for me to come. Wow. To this day, I still don't know how, um, <laughs> We're the, we brew all the beer for Cathay Pacific Airlines as well and stuff like that. So it's a Cathay flight I'm on, which is cool. And uh, we get there and armed guards meet us and they take us straight to this like government hotel. I'm using air quotes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, for 14 days. Um, no Netflix or anything like that because it wasn't like a nice hotel. Um, you're just sitting there reading books that you brought with you doing uh, – push-ups and burpees because your room is you know five meters by three meters it's pretty small god dude oh my gosh you're like in prison for tax evasion right like one of those like uh, those country club prisons <laughs> where you can still play badminton but you can't leave yeah it's like that uh, yeah, totally like a, this is what i imagine those the white collar guys yeah, be, right exactly I'm like this is very fitting since i'm like the whitest human ever but um what time of year was that it was last april Last April. Oh, so like that's right at the. Wow. Yeah, that's right. crazy. They would even let you in the country. Well, I guess things weren't things quite were worse as over bad there. as they are in the, the states. Well, it was quite then. It wasn't like it hadn't peaked yet, so I actually never got back to that project. They did go down to Mexico a bunch for another consulting gig. Um, probably about 12 times during the pandemic. I actually did catch COVID once. Oh, while damn. I had quarantine with COVID before I could come back, which was brutal as well. Um, Here's already like you, you, you've lived like four job life cycles, right? So you already have an, <laughs> yeah, totally. but so what was, uh, I don't know. Do, when you're a consultant, do you get, do you bill for that two weeks of quarantine? Yeah. First of all, hell yeah. Second of all, like you basically make a whole, brewer's salary in two weeks yeah dude i was i was like the juice is worth the squeeze at this point (laughs) for sure and then when you when you caught COVID, was it was it a bad a bad case or you were i was asymptomatic i didn't even know i had it um oh okay this was down in mexico and the facility we would get COVID tested every day wow 
randomly I get a text message one night and they're like, Carlos, you have COVID. And I'm like, nah, man, that's a bad test. Let me take it again. Comes up positive again. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, okay. (laughs) So you had to sit and write it out. Okay. Text the the brewers at Ronan and be like, hey, I'm not going to be back. Um, Had a a friend from Sierra Nevada. Actually, he came up and helped out at our brewery while I was stuck down in Mexico with COVID, which was nice. Nice. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, that whole time we were actually operating this facility, too. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So when did you open Ronan? We, I mean, technically been open for a couple of years. Um, but this facility here, we got CFO the day California went into lockdown last year. (laughs) Cool, man. It's good timing for everything. I'm actually sitting in our unopened tasting room right now because we're still waiting to open it. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) I thought you could under certain. Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, like, uh, just the two other breweries in our area are open right now. Um, totally go up and check them out. The brewing lair in Quintopia. Um, they make fantastic beer. Um, we just, uh, I'm weird. <laughs> Back to that concept thing. Um, we were waiting on a custom draft tower from the Czech Republic to show up and a couple other things. Um, we went very heavy into trying to be this well what i would say is like we're a very northern californian style brewery but we have continental european roots so we tried to put elements of that into the tasting room and we've kind of just been truthfully taking our time because we do sell a bunch of can and bottled beer right now and we sell out every weekend so i figured what's Mm. the rush yeah I feel like, I mean, because you're, you're, you're talking about Ronan being a side project for you, and, and I think that that's a good thing in this case because there is no rush. But I feel like if it wasn't a side like if you were depending on this for your income or whatever, not that you're not, but you know what I mean? It would be more of like a just, I don't care if people sit on pallets, like let's get the doors open. Yeah, but, and I mean. It's kind of nice. For me, uh, quality is like I always try to put forth the best quality that we can, but the resources we have available to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Davies said this on your show a couple episodes back, a great brewer can make great beer on any equipment. And I uh, fully agree with him, but it certainly helps if you have a really well engineered and well put together facility. Um, yeah. So since we kind of have been waiting, we really wanted to make sure that we opened up properly. Um, okay. Tasting, at least. Sure. I mean, you can come by every Saturday and Sunday, and then we do have some select accounts, and then we drop ship a little bit of beer overseas right now. Um, but uh, yeah, we were like, "What's the rush? Let's make sure we give people a really." You have to go over two mountain passes to the middle of nowhere to get to us. <laughs> it really is out in nowhere, dude. It, it's you've dropped a small little town in 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 the middle of the woods. But it's yeah, cool. Sure. It's it's a, like you know. Let's make sure we do this properly. For yeah, people when they show up. So you know, yeah. we have some lucre side pour faucets and uh, half liter and liter steins coming. And oh damn, uh, dude! You know, just kind of been slowly. You know, we also built this place with our own money. We don't have business partners or bank loans or anything like that. This was just done all cash out of our pockets, and wow. um, we're really proud of that fact. We're a brewer-owned brewery and small but you know 
carry a big sword or whatever. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, it's it's like the it's like a sword cane where there's a sword inside the cane, but yours yeah. is a mash paddle. Yeah, you pull that handle and there's a big sword, and that's cool. I'm the Alpha Tori of breweries. We're the, <laughs> we're the, 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 the but we're coming up midfield if you know F1 racing. <laughs> no, but I'm sure uh, Dave Marley will listen to this and tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So I mean, I guess that, that's where we're at. Um, we have a really nice uh, ten hectoliter or eight and a half barrel three vessel brew house. Wow. We can decoct. That's good mashing. So I mean, how many people are in Gray Eagle? There's like eight, and they yeah, all own there's breweries. More, there's more deer, probably. Yeah. I, it just it, and so you know before before the show I was talking to you and I was like yeah I've actually been there whatever and then you told me that there are actually three breweries in this town and it it I'm still thinking about it it blew me away 45 minutes later I'm going I don't understand how are you guys able to all just feed um, the area I mean it is uh, somewhat of a tourist destination I suppose I, any sort of small town in Northern California I guess can be for camping or whatever but it seems yeah, like a so- lot. Since the pandemic's hit, Tahoe's 100% blown out. Yeah. It's um, very crowded. Yeah. And uh, our area is called the Lost Sierras. Um, we're deep in the Sierra Nevada forests here. Uh, so I think people have been, more people have been really coming out. Actually, over the last two years, we've seen a lot more visitors. Um, February was our busiest month we've ever had. Um, wow. We, we would do, you know, two 300 case packaging runs of cans and run out in two weekends. That's wild. Yeah, to me. You know, so you it's all four and a half percent lagers or, um, our Koji beer, which I didn't think would be popular, but is. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about that. Don't worry. I'm very, I'm very excited to talk about that. But, uh, yeah. Um, so brewing where they they were here first, they were, they've been here for 10 years. Um, they have 15 acres. They have a nine hole disc golf course, um, hiking trails. Wow. The brewery has hiking trails. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So you can like grab beers and go hike around and then come back and grab, grab another beer. That's or wild. Or you can go play disc golf. Yeah. That's wild, man. Okay. Yeah. And then Quintopia is really cool. It's, um, they, they, their brewery actually burned down and they're currently, we were brewing beer for them and a couple other breweries in the area were 50, 50 in Truckee. Um, and then Sierra Nevada, Ken Grossman, let them borrow the original Sierra Nevada brew house that's on the trailer. God, the, the, wow. Imagine that Teresa, like, it's like uh, going into the Smithsonian and asking for, you know, I don't know. Babe Ruth's bat. I just need to, I ran out of bats. And so I just need to borrow this until my new bat comes in. I know (laughs) it's like such a, such a good use of a a bit of a relic, right? Yeah. Well, ironically, I did say that too. I was like, Oh man, this thing should be at the Smithsonian. I don't want to like mess anything up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it will be at least a piece of it will be one day. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the point, right? Like, like they used to get in there and have to re-weld that one bit that gets burned away by the heat and everything. You know, it's like, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Totally. My, my favorite part about it though, and this is like a total brewer nerd joke that I don't even know if all brewers will even get it. 
but the license plate frame says my other brew house is a 200 barrel gale. And I like saw that and I'm like, <laughs> just like laughing and everyone's like, what's so funny? And I'm like, license plate, it's hilarious. It's a gale. Like it's a, the nicest European brewing system. <laughs> you <know>? like, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. They got a sense of humor over there for sure. Yeah. But uh, just really cool that, the Sierra Nevada family is able to continue to give back. Um, yeah. Brewers still to this day are so influential and amazing. Like, uh, um, agreed, man. I, I love Sierra Nevada. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Likewise. Well, Charlie, we're going to take a quick break real fast. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to start drinking some of the beers, get in uh, to a little bit about Ronan, your philosophy on beer and how you're making it and do all that kind of fun stuff, especially with the Koji stoked to talk about that so uh hang on just a second everybody it's the session we'll be right back you're tuned into the session because life's too short Hey, thanks for sticking around, everybody. We have Charles here from Ronin Fermentation Project, Gray Eagle, California. I'm about to pop open a Pilsner. Uh, in the chat room, uh, Charles is saying uh, hi a lot. There's a lot of people in here um, saying hi, what's going on? Um, and then uh, Ron says, what has been your biggest brewing disaster, Charlie? So if you can uh, favor us with a little bit of brewing disaster story. Yeah. Um, Which is a good well, question. I think that's a, one of the better questions we've gotten in the chat in a long time. I like that. Really um, okay. Biggest brewing disaster ever. Yeah. This is a fantastic one. I got to turn my head around for it. It's so good. <laughs> oh, God. I love it. <laughs> it actually was one of my first solo consulting jobs, too. It was up in, <laughs> up in Washington on the coast, and it was a uh, mid level sized brewery, so like five to 10,000 barrel brewery. And we were installing a new um, production facility for him. And it was the first day of brewing and the glycol chiller exploded, but they installed the glycol chiller on the roof above the brewery. (laughs) Rained down through the roof on top of all of us. (laughs) All over the floor. And uh, the guys from Brussels Beer Project I'd invited over because they were randomly in Seattle and I ran into them. I'm like, come out to this project I'm working on. There's all these Belgian brewers and everything <laughs> just died. Oh, like, God. And oh, yeah, so the glycol is leaking on top of the brew house into the louder ton, into the kettle. Oh, my God. Dump the batch. Dump. Yeah. Oh, it was bad. That was probably. If you if you can quantify that's, some of these things, like that's 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 probably pretty big. I mean, yeah, that's, that's up like there. a nine out of ten yeah. disaster. It was like you probably had to take like four showers too to get all that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like a sixty or seventy thousand dollar loss. Oh, oh god, crazy. Yeah, so two brewer salaries. <laughs> that's wild, man. We just get free hats and t-shirts. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. 
right. Well, uh, do me a favor. Tell me about this Pilsner. Let me hold up the can here. The can art is beautiful. It's great. It's like a little, uh, almost like holographic, but a little shimmery thing going on there. Yeah, we, we rad, were uh, trying to kind of capture the Lost Sierras um, with the can a little. So Alpenglow is the name of the lager. Uh, or it's a German-style pils. It's all Barca pils. It goes through a four-step step mash. Um, we do a like a 137, 149, 158, 172 rests. Uh, cool. Try to only get beta amylase. Really managing our rests. Um, the mash out's super important for us to make sure we keep a lighter body. This is solo Barca Pilsner from Vireman only. Um, and uh, German Tetanin only. Uh, wow. 75 minute boil. Pops large doses at 60, large dose at 45. And like, I'm sorry, I, I metric brewer. It's a quarter gram a liter, so that's maybe a half a pound or like a third of a pound at about five minutes before flame out. Okay. Um, we, since we're so remote, CO2 is really expensive for us to get, so we spooned oh. and krausen all of our beer. Okay. Um, spooning, if you don't know, is old school European technique. It's a little pressure relief valve that you can screw down and adjust how much pressure comes out. And for a home brewer, you'd see your airlock on the fermenter bubbling away. For us pro brewers, it's a little stainless guy with a little glass cup full of sanitized liquid. And uh, you can set the volume pressure and it'll bubble off whatever you don't want. Uh, oh, nice. This beer, since we are in the middle of nowhere and we're really small and, um, we don't expect to ever really move a lot of beer. We're kind of, it's a passion project. We do have horizontal tanks and uh, we move the beer over at like 40 Fahrenheit and we re-krausen the beer with, or speece. Technically, we're not pulling high krausen. We're, we're taking the original work from the original brew day with some fresh yeast and okay. inject it into the lagering tank and let it re-ferment and then we slowly cold crash it and it sits for about eight to 10 weeks. Wait. So, okay. So you have the original brew day, then you take off a certain portion of the wort to save, to effectively carbonate. How do you, how do you keep that wort from not? Yeah. So we put it into a little, like a specialized brink that has been steam cleaned Mm -hmm. and it's sent in hot, still out of the kettle, boiling hot. Okay. It has a vacuum relief valve, so it won't pull a vacuum. And we just moved that into our cold box, um, which is a very ghetto cold box that came off a crab boat. So like when, when I say our brewery is pleasantly ghetto, we have a full lab, but our cold box came from a crab boat. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know what? I, I think that that's just the right place to, to, to kind of skimp on, on dollars. You yeah, know, you put so your money like, into quality you know, and then, you know, cold is just cold, but quality you, you right. can't. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about the crab blood on the side of it. That's cool. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we basically take that original word and we do uh, PCR. So we do lab test it to make sure that nothing's growing in it before it goes back into the tank, of course. And we do PCR yeast. We use 3470 as well, um, which is Vine Stefaner um, 2114 or Global from Imperial. Pretty much every lager brewer I know in the United States that's an amazing lager brewer that I love drinking their beer uses that yeast. 
<laughs> so you're, you're, you're partial to it. Yeah. Like yeah. It. yeah, for sure. Man. <laughs> if, look, I, I like, I'm sure your lager is great, but you're not using this yeast. So I, 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 I can't drink it. I'm sorry. Yeah. We, me personally, I always was trying to get a little more sulfur production from our beer. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, for me, it's nice and clean. Um, it's about 22 IBUs um, on the UV Viz. Okay. So, yeah. How does a beer like this sell up in Gray Eagle, which, uh, you know, has like a big dive bar and, and probably a lot of Bud Light being yeah, slung? really well. So well yeah. that the dive bar took Bud Light off tap and has cakes. No, they did. Did they really? Yeah. It's awesome. It's a killer dive bar. Damn, right there. dude. There's a gun. There's a bullet hole in the men's restaurant. <laughs> That's probably recent, I would imagine. It, it, it is recent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did it. <laughs> That's how I got the tap. <laughs> I shot up the men's restroom to get on tap. Yeah. So um, we get very, very little untapped ratings, obviously. But um, actually, you know, so the long. You have no cell service. The loggers uh, do all well. the other breweries in our area are very IPA focused. Oh, um, okay. Well, then that makes a lot of sense then, man. Like, you know, it's, it's good if you're going to have a small, basically a small clientele to draw from, for the most part, I guess, you know, but tourists aside, you should sort of focus on different things. I mean, imagine if you were all making similar IPAs, that would sort of be, then it's just who's cooler. Like if we all had 20 hazies on tap? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with that. No, no, but but in but in like a town like I don't know, San Diego, that's probably okay. But I feel like a town like Gray Eagle, that's like I don't know, that might be a little hard because then because then because then how do you choose where to go? Right? At least now people can go. Well, you know what I really want is a really crisp Pilsner. Yeah. So we, um, you know, back to that concept thing. We really tried to conceptualize continental European beer with a Northern California twist from traveling all over the world, you get a lot of people always going, well, what's your culture? What's your culture? You're an American. I'm like, our culture is craft beer. You're welcome. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, I never thought about that. Well, it is. Um, yeah. from Northern California, you know, you have new Albion, yeah. um, anchor and Sierra Nevada. They're the first big boys, like in craft brewing. The That's true. West coast, West coast IPA, stuff like that was fostered in this area first. Um, this is controversial. I'm sure there'll be a hundred people spouting off saying I'm wrong, but that's how I, I identify as a Northern Californian. I'm like, you know, our culture is craft beer. It's through the beer. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, man. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, this beer is great. There is that sulfur note to it. And, you know, like a lot of the, uh, the, it's funny because not only have you had a lot of Pilsners on, a lot of lagers, but a lot, I think this is the third lager in two months that has been spooned. Yeah. And I think there, maybe I'm just, you know, lying to myself, but it feels like there is a difference in, in the amount of sulfur that's present in the beer in, in the positive way. Like you're saying, you were looking for more sulfur and, and we sort of mentioned it before where sulfur is a part of the, of like the 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 backbone or like the I don't know the je ne sais quoi of of a German style pilsner like this, so you want a little bit from there, or else it maybe is a little too sweet. But you you have a great amount of it, and and I would imagine it's from the spooning and keeping it in solution and uh, and and keeping it throughout. This is a solid. It's it's a you know a nice firm bitterness. You really get that sort of perfumey malt thing coming through. Um, and then it just cleans up really nicely and there's, 
the amount of sulfur sort of stays a little bit longer than than styles that I've had before, examples that I've had before. But I don't mind. It's not a flaw in any way. I'm yeah, just, it's just what I observe. Like, uh, striped match sulfur, not yeah. the rotten egg. So it's yes, uh, yes. Uh, H2S or it's not H2S. It's SO2. Kind of. A, it's it's very good. That's a very good beer. And you said this is a, what, a four-day fermentation, right? <laughs> yeah, like three. Yeah. Um, we use Kvik, no. It's Hornadol, no. <laughs> uh, Surprise! Eight to ten weeks That's in lager. Um, uh, no, uh, you know, primary fermentation is about 12 to 14, maybe 17 days sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... You know, we're we're really trying to get the beer as cold as possible. So negative one C, so thirty Fahrenheit in the horizontal, and truthfully, it brightens up faster than the ten weeks. That's just me. That's uh, me denying my scientific side. Okay. And just nerdy and going, I'm going to keep it in there for a couple more weeks. Um, you know, so you have VLB and Dumans and Fakvrla. Um, from Czech Republic and me back. And, uh, you know, as I worked all over the place and do doing engineering projects for breweries, you have to read all these books and go and chat with these people at these schools and, uh, you know, working with Rolex and other brewery manufacturers from Germany, you kind of just, there's like, you fall in love with the process. Mm. Um, I know there's fantastic beers out there like Kevin Davies from Wayfinder, Lisa Allen, from here on, uh, you know, beer. I think Ashley and Bill go pretty long on theirs. Uh, Ryan Buxton from Ex Novo, uh, his um, Pearl Haggard on GABF. It's one of the best loggers I've had all year. Um, they're going shorter amounts of time in unis and bright tanks than us, and these are fantastic beers. So by no means is, you know, you talk to any brewer out there, and depending on how many beers they've had, they're going to tell you five different ways to make that beer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, we used to say on the show, if you uh, you ask ten home brewers the same question, you'll get twelve answers. <laughs> and it's the same thing. And I, you know, I I feel like the more you learn uh, a, a, about beer, the sort of less you think you know. If that makes a lot of sense, because like you said, you're traveling all over the world and you're interacting with people that you necessarily wouldn't have interacted with if you had stayed in Seattle or Lake Tahoe or whatever. And I feel like it it sort of gives you a lot more tools in your toolkit to kind of pull from for something like this, which sounds obvious, like no shit, JP. Like, of course, this, you know, knowing more stuff makes you know more stuff. But I think in beer, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit less of like an engineering thing, a little bit more of like a like a brewing from the gut kind of a thing. A hundred percent. The more I know, the less I know. Um, yeah. Like every day I'm like, I need to wake up an hour earlier and read an extra hour every night. And this is almost year 20. Wow. In the industry, so I'm like, uh, somebody was like, Oh, I saw you in a, some, you know, beer magazine article. And I'm, they're like, how's it feel to make it? I'm like, what do you mean make it? We haven't made anything. Um, you know, I put all the old awards we've ever won. I hang them over the toilet in my house. <laughs> Don't be too proud. Well, you know, the beer industry, we're really, what have you done? For- yeah. Some of the breweries that really knocked everyone's socks off five years ago, it's like they're not around anymore. So 
you can't rest on your laurels even a little. No. These days, the quality of beer that's coming out is so high from so many people that you'll run into a little hick mountain town like mine and have like a pretty decent beer. Yep. Honestly, I was I was shocked. I'm shocked by this Pilsner. I did not expect it to be this good to, to, to have this attention to quality in it. For no other reason other than small town, how much attention can you pay to one beer? And then how how desirable is a craft pilsner going to be in this small, as you put it, hick town? I just I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. But here it is. Well, yeah, I mean, um, certainly, you know, I think what reinvigorated my life was going back up to Portland. And working there. It's such an amazing brewing community. With so many amazing, talented human beings all over the industry, not just so Dana Garvez. Um, she owns Organ Brew Lab uh, down in Eugene. Uh, she is one of the, she ran Ninkasi's QCQA program. Mm-hmm. One of the most gifted humans in the whole brewing industry I've ever met. Wow. Um, she really, and you know, I had a science background eventually. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she really, reopened my eyes to quality. Uh, when we opened Ronin, we were fortunate enough to have a bunch of lab equipment from our consulting agency, but we really doubled down. Um, the Anton Parr guys send us Christmas gifts. <laughs> um, but um, if you don't know who Anton Parr is, um, I actually have a shirt that says who the F is Anton Parr. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they make an easy dense that you can buy for more beer. That's super cheap. It's a couple hundred bucks and it'll change your homebrew game big time. What's an easy dense or your pro brew game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is that? What's that equipment? Um, it's a density meter. So instead of using a hydrometer or a refractometer, it mm-hmm. uses, um, refractory light to measure the density of a solution in, um, so you get a very accurate reading of basically your gravity. Uh, oh, okay. During brew house operations and in the cellar for fermentation. Um, you know, so, you know, they make what's called a DMA 35. It's a density, density meter. Basically, if you're a brewer and you don't know, and you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go buy one. <laughs> <laughs> go buy one now, man. Use your stimmy and go for it. Yeah, totally. Get, get that Biden money and you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. But, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, so we you know, we we like to say that, you know, we're the perfect blend of art and science. Like you mentioned earlier, JP Bruin from the gut. Mm-hmm. There is that still. Like we don't let the equipment dictate everything. Yeah. Well you can't, right? You shouldn't at least. I always tell people it's if you're going to pay to painting and you know how much like zinc oxide is in white mm-hmm. versus like how much, you know, calcium oxalates in yellow, then you can make the perfect shade of light yellow to go paint your painting. Um, not all painters know those exact levels, but in their head, they still have kind of a reference in brewing quality control lab results and things of that nature allow you to kind of fine tune things and go in and be a little better. Uh, I don't have the luxury of having 30 awesome brewers near me in Portland to yeah. pop over and say, what's up. Sure. And my beer and bounce ideas off. I have to harass people on the telephone and be like, Hey, let's, uh, <laughs> let's zoom conference call. I need to talk about my beer. And if I don't have any measurements to send them, 
um, then I don't have a reference to talk to him. Sure. Yeah. I've found through running Guaylo through the pandemic and just being isolated out here that having the lab has really helped me um, still have a connection and talk with other brewers about what's going on in our facility. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. It is kind of like a lifeline or maybe a reason to get in touch with people. Instead yeah. of just, hey, I have to ship you this thing, and then you tell me. It's more like I can let, let me let me talk to you about what I'm seeing in this result or whatever, and then what can we do about it? Yeah, that makes sense, man. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's crack your hazy. Yeah. All right. Structural damage. Structural damage. Structural well, damage. Good name. Wow. You know what? Uh, just passing that can uh, from opening just over to port uh, smells like a bag of hops. Wow. That's good aroma, dude. Thank you. Um, we have really, really low DO on our cans first. And, uh, cool, funky art. Yeah, it was a really, really cool painting that we just digitized, basically. Basically, we, we, so we dry hop a little differently. Um, since pop pellets, T90s, cryo, all contain small amounts of atmospheric air, we use liquid nitrogen. Um, and we submerge our hops in liquid nitrogen. Oh, look at that thing. That is murky, dude. Damn. It's a uh, 60% wheat. And I would look at this and I would go, I, I feel like this is going to be gritty. Like, cause I, you know, I don't have to tell you that I'm just like uninitiated when it comes to this shit, yeah, but yeah. it is not at all. It is smooth and, uh, not the way that I would, I would assume. So that's my, that's my fault <laughs> for not being open-minded, man. But yeah, that so- is, that is, uh, that is a murky Murky hazy. You haze boys would love this. We, um, it's ostensibly a Hefeweizen. It's still step mashed. Uh, we, we just, it's like an Imperial F recipe. Um, that's been, had the, the hop prime changed on it basically. Okay. It went through two dry hops and like, so when we say double dry hop on that can, it literally is two hop additions. The beers transferred in between tanks. Um, it's HBC 586, um, Columbus, uh, Idaho 7, and Raquel. And you said you're you're putting liquid nitrogen in the hops. And in the tank. You're putting, oh, really? So you're like actually pouring that together and then you're putting it in the tank? Yeah, so instead of purging with gas, we're purging cryogenically. Um, hmm. We found that uh, there's less... So when you talk about convection gas convection inside a cylindrical conical vessel, you have laminar and turbulent gas flow. So depending on the rate at the Sellerman turning that butterfly valve, the gas is going to mix differently. But if it's cryogenic, it creates this um, thermal blanket through thermodynamics and pushes it all up and you get rid of the laminar and convective flow. So um, you're, you're pumping liquid nitrogen in from the bottom mm-hmm. to purge the tank. Yeah, so I know we're currently the only people right now doing that. I've never heard that, and I've been doing this for I too long. I've never heard yeah. of that, but it makes so much sense. Yeah. It's but, a great idea. Yeah, but CO2 is expensive, so. Yes. Well, liquid nitro is cheaper, believe it or not. Oh, is it really? Okay. I don't know why. I think it's because you were throwing out the word cryogenically, and I'm like, well, that must that's some big brain shit. That must be really expensive, and that's where the – but, uh, I mean, it makes sense. That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean um, – so we're using nitrogen first to purge our tanks okay. instead of CO2. And then yeah. we eventually push out with 
CO2 cylinders because we can't get liquid for some reason. I can get liquid nitro, but not <laughs> liquid CO2. This- we actually, we do that too. We have a doer and we do all our beer movements and tank purging with, with nitrogen. And then we, for the last one, we'll do CO2 and for carbonation, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. But this whole liquid nitrogen thing, I had never thought of that. You got, you got your spinning now, huh? It's got my wheel spinning. <laughs> the idea is to remove um, all the atmospheric air from the pellets. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen people take like a CO two and like blow it in the pellets, but I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's really doing anything. Yeah, no, it, we actually did DO checks on our bags of hops <laughs> um, and saw like crazy amounts of dissolved oxygen, and we would see you know, 100, 200 PPB pickup and, in work or in beer right away. Hmm. So yeah. why that's a big deal is now we start talking about um, hop creep, diacetyl, over attenuation, things of that nature that now are out of our control. Um, typically, we do add our hops in during fermentation. So we get, you know, a organoleptic biotransformation-ish, you know, we could have a whole nother two hour conversation about how much of that really occurs versus, you know, hop lots and things of that nature. Uh, Nick Ziegler could go off about that. <laughs> hop and brew school. You'll yeah. tell more about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So we were really just trying to minimize some of those things. We also started working with uh, Berkeley yeast. Um, they have a couple of really cool yeast strains where they removed, I believe, the ALDC gene. I might get that wrong. Um, so the precursors for diacetyl never formed. Wow. Um, so between these two processes, we were able on our dry hopping to get like more of like that fresh hop pellet flavor versus, which I think, JP, I don't know, you might want to double check me on this. Are you picking up more of like a fresh like pellet aroma or what are you, what are you grabbing off of it? Just specifically when I opened the can, it was definitely like a brighter hop pellet, like sort of when you open the bag, yeah. you know what I mean? Where it's, it's not vegetal material, but it is sort of the essence of, you know, maybe the nitrogen that's like in the, you know, in the headspace of the bag, when you pop that open, it kind of hits you like, Oh man, it's, it was very bright and crisp. And then, you know, as the beer warms up or it off gases or both or whatever, um, it's very, very tropical. I mean, it, it honestly smells like a, like a, a, like a tequila sunrise or like some sort of like mixed drink, like a tropical, it, it, this could be one of those like a uh, tiki drink beers in, in like, like 60%. Right. But, and, and, but it, <laughs> oh man, but in, in a good way, because it's, it's those for, and I don't know if this is what you're going for, but it's the, it's the hop character and, and that yeast and then the malt, the whole thing is very tropical. It's very, um, citrusy, but in a smooth sort of sweeter way than you would think of like, a, a here, this is going to be a citrusy or a juice bomb. I wouldn't even call this a juice bomb. It's, it's like, uh, or like juicy. I wouldn't use that. I would use more like tropical drink. And for me, that's a combo. I don't know how you're taking it, but for me, I mean, it doesn't, if you say it doesn't suck, I'm stuck. It doesn't uh, suck. No, it doesn't <laughs> suck. Uh, you know, but I, 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 and I don't know why I, I get, sometimes I go to these rabbit holes, man. And like, I need to, I need to like fully define the thing that I'm tasting and I don't know why it is. So I'm going to not, I'm going to try to avoid that. But for me, if, if you have a, a, a tropical cocktail, 
um, like not not a Mai Tai, but I'm trying to think like a I can't think of one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, And you take the alcohol from it away and you take some of the spices away and you take and you just have like pineapple juice, guava juice, that kind of stuff. And then you take the aroma from that. That's what I get. And I think it's good. the, The aroma to me speaks. I like it a lot. And it's it's a unique in a beer like this for me. And I've had a lot. Of, I smelled a lot of these fucking things, man. Believe it or not, I hate to say this, and I'm sure, like some lager brewers are going to turn over in their graves as I say this, but um, <laughs> I really tried to take actually a more of a European like lager approach to the work chemistry, except hmm. we, you know, obviously changed the gravities on it and left okay. a bunch of residual. Um, so really tried to hone in on our work chemistry for this beer instead of relying on lactose or something like that. Um, I just, uh, the Guaylo brand, we use lactose in those beers and stuff, uh, for Ronin, we conceptually lactose doesn't meet in our brand. There's nothing wrong with using lactose in beers, but you know, stay in your lane. Like if you want to be a respected lager brewer and stuff like that, I don't know if those, you know, if you're gonna flex into the hazy IPA world, um, do it with work chemistry. If you want to yeah. be respected with horizontal lagering tanks and stuff like that, so <laughs> well, how do you how do you do it? What do you mean by your work chemistry? And you don't have to go into super detail, of course, but uh, you know, if you give me the 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 dumb version, so yeah, totally. Um, we basically mash higher, okay, in our sac rest, and we leave a lot more residual maltose, maltohelios, and like other long chain dextrins around um to give it a little extra and glycerol um you know to give it a little extra body to give it a little extra sweetness to kind of pair with the terpene profiles that we had in those hops that we were working with um and the water profile as well Uh, we have really soft water so we went you know really uh probably three to one chloride sulfate um we still do add gypsum to our kettle um because we do want to reduce our kettle pH to five as close as we can for hop utilization and things of that nature. But really, yeah, we're, you know, you know what it's in many books, it's all over the internet. You know, you don't, (laughs) you don't need, (laughs) as long as you have sanitary practices, good DO and everything else, you don't necessarily need those things. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think a lot of breweries crush it with lactose beers. It's just back to the concept what are you conceptually trying to do with your brand and what are you presenting to your consumer? Um, so within our concept at Ronin, we felt like that with work chemistry was the best approach. How do people take to this beer up there? On in a weekend. Pissed me off so much. Really? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> totally unsurprising. Yeah. Um, like and they it, didn't even know they were drinking a hazy with like soul and credibility, you know? Yeah. I don't Credibility could be debated. No, <laughs> <laughs> but soul definitely. I mean, that's a good descriptor, Teresa. It is. It is. It does have a soul. There's. There's some. Th- there's something going on there. You can tell. It's no, purposeful. I mean, like there's there's a million hazy beers out there, and I I love how you took great pains to not insult people who make lactose hazy IPAs. But I, that's fine. You can totally insult those people because I totally agree with how you're doing it because. I don't know. I mean, you don't, you don't want to put like, to me, there, there's a place for lactose and beer and that's called a milk stout. (laughs) (laughs) 
you don't want to have to put warning labels on everything. Like, don't give this to your lactose intolerant friend. That's embarrassing. It It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense to me. So I've, I've done a couple, but it's not something I've really invested in trying to figure out because I just don't think it's the right way. Well, and I, I wonder if that's if that's part of it too, where I because you know talking to a lot of brewers, especially off air and on air too, sometimes where it's ah, I don't like hazy beers, I don't want to brew them, but I have to. Either my boss makes me, or it's what people ask for. And if you don't make one, you're leaving money on the table. So I'm going to do one, and it's going to be fine and okay. But my passion really is porter or you know whatever the whatever the fucking thing is right and i wonder if that's some of it too where it's like okay i know i can do it with lactose it's 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 a fine product but if you're not invested in it sort of like what you're saying Charlie. like if you're not invested if you don't feel this then you're not really gonna you're not in you're not you're not gonna take the time to to figure out how to do it a different way uh, and that's fine good, i guess right my good friends jason yester um, I got so mad at him once because he made a hazy when they first came out. Mm. Uh, he goes by the, he was like, I always dub him the most hated man in craft beer. Okay. Um, <laughs> he goes by the name Saison Man and like people, he'd actively troll people bad. Um, he basically made Saison with a name like that, right? And okay. uh, they eventually made a hazy IPA and they put the label on it upside down. And on the label, it said, we only make this beer so we can buy more fooders. And, um, you know, he was using yeast to haze it. And I got really upset with him. I sent me one. And I'm like, dude, why'd you phone it in? <laughs> Damn. Jason's a big guy. So I'm like, maybe I shouldn't say this. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Well, he'd have to make the drive. And so I doubt that'll happen. So, you know, it's uh, for me, it's like if you're going to do something, at least try to do your best. Yeah. And fit in your concepts. Right. What's. What, what, what do you do? What's your, what are you giving to the industry? What's your brand about? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've said it three times. It was like, we're a Northern California brewery with continental European roots. And um, so we use, you know, big Hefeweizen grain bill and, uh, you know, just made it an Imperial and got rid of the ferulic acid rest and, <laughs> um, <laughs> Through through Sactois at it instead of uh, London Three, and you know changed up a couple different things, um, but right. uh, you know something that we would still be proud of. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would be proud of that too. The the aroma on that is great, and that's what a lot of these hazies, you know, I can sort of understand, but I can smell a lot of them all day. Because and and that's what and and for me that's that's the the part of like the craft beer culture that I I need to I'm trying to embrace a little bit more so I just don't hate it entirely but like the hazy beers I don't vibe with at all but picking a thing that that is good about them that aroma the way that that people have made hazies and the way that they've they sort of crafted that the their hop additions like yours specifically um, to just smell utterly unique in the space is cool. There's still room for for good experimentation in in craft beer, and that's what these that's what these beers sort of like show me. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. It's like thought, thoughtful brewing. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right, Charlie, we're gonna take a quick break, okay? Yeah. And we're gonna come back. We're gonna drink the other two beers, one of which is the Koji beer. Yeah, I'm stoked to talk about that. 
So all I met from Josh Hembry, who like bow down, that guy's God. Um, you know, uh, yeah, that was a cool. It was really, uh, it was really neat to like, uh, uh, you know, learn about a little bit about that beer and then coming right off that show too. So if you guys listen to that setting sun show, uh, some of these terms will probably be a little familiar to you, but, uh, anyway, hang on everyone. It's the session. We'll be right back. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. Hey, thanks for hanging around, everybody. It's the session. We are about to wrap things up. Well, I say about. We have another full segment to get through. So uh, don't push stop just yet, folks. Uh, We're here with uh, Charlie from Ronin Fermentation Project. And I have two beers in front of me. One is a West Coast IPA, and the other is uh, Koji beer with raspberries. And I'm going to guess we're going to do the West Coast first. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, And that's called... A really quick note on this. Yes. Um, This beer came about because of a really cool Facebook group. <laughs> okay. This Facebook group, you need to go join it ASAP. All right. What's it called? West Coast IPA is dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love it. My really good friend, Corey Welchel, he's a uh, beer buyer in the Bay Area. Um, he was hanging out with some of his friends down at Modern Times. Fairly extinct. <laughs> you know, because West Coast IPA is dead, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of his buddies at Cloudwater Brewing went on Twitter and literally wrote West Coast IPA is dead uh, about four years ago during uh-huh. the middle of the haze craze. <laughs> I don't know. So he kind of took it upon himself to start a Facebook group and he's really good friends with like um, the North Park Brewers, Green Cheek guys, uh, Kevin, um, Michael Hunziker up in uh Grains of Wrath, a bunch of really good brewers are in the group, actually. And so we all kind of cool. took it upon ourselves to redefine, like, the West Coast IPA. So we, like, I uh, I can't take credit for it. I want to say Green Cheek Brewing came up with the, like, California-style West Coast. So our West Coast IPA that you're trying, JP, is all Barca Pilsner, again, Byron, and that's it. And it's been step-mashed like a Pilsner. Just <laughs> okay, like a West Coast IPA. Um, mosaic citra lots, uh, from Loftus Ranch and B and D, um, hand selected out. So this is just Pilsner malt, step, a step mash Pilsner malt grain bill for a West yeah. coast IPA. Yep. But, uh, we did boil it for 90 minutes, developed a little bit more melanoidin and, um, yeah, I mean, it is a little, I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's dark, but it is darker than what I would imagine just straight Pils malt would be. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's light yellow. So the second the runnings went off to the kettle, the kettle was turned on. So we would just start getting a malleard reaction and kind of getting some color and body into the beer instead. So we could get a more clean malt profile and mineral profile to let the hops kind of showcase through a little bit more. It's our Northern California interpretation of a West Coast. And what makes it Northern California is just because you guys are fucking around. Uh, no, uh, you know, I would say the bittering additions, we went Columbus heavy again. Um, I feel like some chats I had with Vinny Silaruzzo and some other folks, they were, you know, chatting about kind of how they went through things, where the hops were added. Um, I don't really know how else to say it, I guess. Maybe. (laughs) No, that's, I mean. I got long ass blonde hair. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I guess that's that's my question because 
you know, there are some industries and, you know, beer tries to do this. I mean, they try to do it with like Cascadian Dark Ale. And I don't know where you land on that. It's very much like uh, almost almost as worse or almost as bad as like talking politics. Where like if you talk about Cascadian Dark Ale or Black IPA, I, you know, we can't. Let's not. It's Thanksgiving, Dad. Let's not talk about it. Um, <laughs> but in, in like sometimes you, you can get this. Yeah, you can get those like you can get in those hyper regional uh, details, right? That maybe they matter, maybe they don't. And so I don't know. I just I just like to know either. You're probably right. They probably don't matter. Um, I did in Seattle and Portland. Yeah, uh, I I would say that the Pacific Northwest stuff definitely has a style. And I think as a kid from Northern California, I'm like, I want to create our own style. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, in that I get, and if you if you can make it um, taste a little bit different, then then yeah, go for it, man. You know. And to me, this is different. Is we're trying to use all pills, mom. So all pilsner, even though you're trying to take it into a little bit more color, just by how you're treating them all. Yep. Back to I work. think that's super interesting. Back to work chemistry. Back to brew house utilization. <laughs> manipulation of brewing techniques. What do you think you get out of that that you can't get out of, um, you know, uh, just, I don't know, two row and like a little bit of crystal 10. And uh, I know that's not like the current trend for West coast IPA, but that's how old I am. I can still remember. I'm old yeah. enough to remember crystal malt in, in IPA. So, uh, you know, there's that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's back when 90210 was out too, right? <laughs> that's right. Season five. Though, so. Um, so, you know, I think, you get a different sweetness um, mm-hmm. back to the sulfur. Uh, we start, we want to go really deep. We can talk about um, polyphenol fiel interactions with the hops and how you get aromatic components coming out during biotransformation. So uh, when the hop polyphenols, grain polyphenols, grain fiols and hop fiols all combine during fermentation, you're going to have a lot of different interactions. Uh, that bark pills has a higher fiol level than the normal ones. Um, now I know normal Weirman pills does have a bit of Barca blended into it. Um, so you can still get that there. Uh, the two row, we just truthfully never saw it had, a, it was like a little more soft rounded mouthfeel. So we were still trying to kind of leave that not as soft, I guess. Um, not like a calcium chloride softness, but like a rounded yeah, there is a differentiation there for sure. And I I do like it because it is that, you know, Pilsner malt for me have that sort of perfumey sweetness mm-hmm. um, and that you don't really get out of like a Turo or even like a, you know, British Pale or whatever. Um, so I, I, yeah, Marisotter. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do. I, I like it. I think for me, it's maybe too bitter. Okay. But for me, and I know you're not making it for me, and I don't drink it anyway, even if you tried. I don't drink IPAs anyway, so it doesn't matter. So that, that comment is stupid. However, for me, that's the only thing I can think of where it's like, oh, that is, I mean, th- it, look, if you love bitterness, this is the beer for you guys because it is, uh, it is, has that sweet malt. It has a great hop aroma, uh, but the, the hop flavor it was what stands out to me a little bit more than just than, than the aroma. Yes, 70, 72 is what we visited at. And if uh, my buddy Corey listens to this, Corey, he wanted to go 85 on the double, and I told him it was too much. So it's too much, Corey, Corey you dingleberry. <laughs> <laughs> he actually just got done doing a series of collabs with us 
revision and um, wild fields. And they're going to release them all as some mixed 12 pack. Yeah. That, that hop flavor is like, it's almost like a tangerine um, peel. So there's that, the bitterness, there's, there's some little citrus thing going on. It's very cool. We, it's very cool. Our weakness is IPA as a brewery. Like our weakest styles, I think, are IPA. Hmm. And that's what we always are going to try to grow and learn more. Which is ironic since I teach at the Yakima Chief Hop and Brew School. Um, <laughs> hey, look, man, beer has hops in it no matter what. No matter what style, so you're fine. But, you know, this being said, I do know the difference. Like, you know, there's a big difference between breweries that select their hops. Like you go up, you're buying 5,000 pounds of mosaic and you get to select which lots you have versus ones that don't. This this year we got to select our hops versus last year. So I'm hoping our IPA game steps up a little this year. Um, being from California, I feel like having a good IPA is pretty important. Yeah. So like, yeah, we are throwing a lot more effort into that world realm this year. This last year, we were very very logger focused, and we're not going to lose that. But we're, you know, we brought in some staff members that are a little more school in that region, I guess, than me. Um, <laughs> so um, hope, hopefully we get better. Yeah. Well, look, man, there's a, uh, I, I wouldn't say there's a ton of room for improvement for sure, because uh, I mean, they're, they're tasting pretty good. And, you know, like I said, we taste a lot of IPAs on this show over the years and, and some of them stand out and some of them, you know, don't no offense to anybody because look, an IPA is still an IPA at the end of the day. Um, but, but yours, these do have this, there's something to it, man. And I think it's, I think especially for this one, for the uh, fairly extinct, it's, it's the flavor hops is what I'm getting the most joy out of. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was like, truthfully, it is our weakest part of our portfolio. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, that I can tell. (laughs) I mean, I haven't tasted your beer, so I'm looking forward to that, but like clearly you're holding yourself to an extremely high standard so, you know, you, yeah. you're like, well, it's weak, but I, I doubt that it's like the, the distance between like greatness and where you are. You could put, mind, Teresa, right? you can put this beer up against any West Coast IPA that you've had in the last six months. Easily. Well, I could just tell by the way you're explaining your beer that you clearly know a heck of a lot more than most of us about what you're doing. So I, yeah, I'm looking forward to tasting it and i'm pretty sure i'm going to disagree with this uh, estimation that it's not so great <laughs> well i mean you know he said he just said it's the weakest i know it's still good but that's like the weakest <laughs> among in like strong men or something you know right. it's like it's yeah. not really that weak right we really are i don't know there's so many great ipas in california yeah. and the whole west coast oregon washington yeah um, mm-hmm. So you really, you really do hold yourself to a really high standard. That's when you, when we go talk about that regionality, like, Hey, you're, you're from California. You're from the West coast of the United States. We mm-hmm. created craft beer. You need to really be hitting strong with an IPA. Mm. Yeah. That's the biggest, my biggest focus in my brewery too. I mean, of how, where I want to improve. Cause I, I feel like we make a pretty good lager and we make a, you know, a lot of these continental styles, but like, I really want to get better with IPAs. So that I totally agree there. 
Charlie, do do you feel like you're like you're a little more I don't know focused on creating a good IPA because you you are so worldly. You you talk to more international customers about craft beer and beer, and so it's sort of like this is your ambassadorship. Like you are you're the gateway, and so you have to say, hey, try my West Coast IPA. Or you do you see what I'm saying? Like, is there a little more pressure in on you mentally? Are you putting more pressure on yourself to? to really knock it out of the park with the West coast or. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. I a hundred percent. Um, but it's not that I'm the ambassador. I feel like Pliny or something like that. Is the ambassador. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. That's fair. <laughs> um, more so like I'm a Northern California kid that grew up drinking Sierra Nevada, uh, Anderson Valley and Russian river. Um, so I am the second generation of craft brewers hmm. to come through. So I am just trying to keep the standard. Okay. And so, yes, I do feel personally a lot of pressure to <laughs> yeah. uh, execute in that style. Also, okay. we are part of a big collaboration group with Bale Breaker from Yakima Chief. Um, their family has been in the Yakima Valley for generations. They own Loftus Ranch, uh, or they're, uh, you know, not them, but like other family members. And um, we know a fair amount of hop farmers. So, uh, and when we first met them all, all we were making was like saisons and sour beers. Everyone was like, "Oh, okay. Ronan's a sour beer brewery." Uh, oh wow, that's a big shift. Sour beer anymore? Yeah, um, that's a big shift for you, I think. Then, yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Ironically, I was always drinking a bunch of lager, PBR, hams. You know, hell yes, yes I do. <laughs> yes, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with hams. No, it's that sky blue water, baby. Yeah, that sky blue water will get you every time. So yes. So okay. How was that culturally? I mean, culturally. I mean, it's your brewery. Um, shifting from that, like sour beers to just to focusing on lagers, and and now with a with a focus on IPA. I mean, that's that. I mean, that doesn't honest. get much bigger of a of a shift. Yeah, if I'm going to be honest, it was a little bit of a kick. So you know, when the concept first started, we were going to like cool ship a bunch of beer and work on Koji beer only. So we're going to do Koji beer and cool ship beer only. That's kind of tight. I mean, that fits in with the Ronin theme where you can go from place to place. Yep. Exactly. So yeah. branding wise, everything was like laid out this way. And then as I'm working and traveling all over the place, waiting for my non-compete to be done, um, slowly building the brewery with cash. Um, and I mean, slowly, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you start seeing the whole craft beer landscape switch. And you're like, well, you know, I have a bunch of friends that are Michelin star chefs and they have a bunch of concepts and these are the guys that taught me concept. So it's like, okay, if you're a good brewer, you should be able to brew any concept. So time to switch concepts. Okay. All right. What we kind of did. It's not that we like lost our way or our soul, you You know, it's more like, okay, well, we've been brewing for a long time. We have the education. We have the resources in the lab. Let's, you know, switch our concept and let's conceptually move. Yeah, well, and I, th- I think that's totally fine. I think you, you have to do that. It's not like Sierra Nevada who goes, you know, we've been doing pale ale for 100,000 years. You know what we're going to do is hard seltzer. And that's it. You know what I mean? Like you can still, you're still doing other things. I mean, it sounds like you haven't, well, you haven't given up on the Koji beer because I'm going to, I'm going to drink it right now, but um, you're just, you're changing things up. I think that's fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're never going to give up on the Koji one because we're way too invested in that process. Yeah. Uh, well, it's cool too. I haven't had it yet, but it's, I mean, I'm going to crack it open right now. It's called, uh, the multiverse lives. Check out this label. That's your artwork's great, man. I like it. Yeah, I think so cool. we can, the, the name, the label and the recipe it all get conceptualized at the same time. Really? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. I'm curious. Um, that's the only way to make everything fit together because we do so many, um, each brand, each beer lives on its own. Okay. So you, you, you go, you know what? I, I want to do a new beer. So and like you, you just released a beer. I yeah. just painted a portrait. Okay. okay. Yeah. The way I look at it. So, so it's not beards. It's out. Each one should live on its own. Um, okay. the craft beer consumers change. They aren't brand loyal. They just go into a bottle shop and they look and they buy one can or one bottle and then they buy six different things. Yeah. Um, so every beer we make conceptually lives on its own by itself. That's and kind of, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, I like it. Don't disregard that for a lack of passion or anything. It's the complete opposite. It's no, for we're sure. trying to respect each style. Well, it's a concept. Every beer is a concept for you. And, and I mean, to, I, I guess that does, that does make sense at some part of my brain. I, I do like to carp, compartmentalize a lot of things where if I'm going to do a thing, I'm going to think about this, whether it's editing the show or researching the guest or doing something for you know my other shows or whatever, you might as well just do it all now. So let's do it all now so you can stay in that, in that, in that headspace. And, you know, it just depends sometimes, you know, especially as a home brewer, like other craft breweries, like, oh, I want to brew a Pilsner. So we'll do this and we'll name it later. And that's fine too, but that's not, that's just not what you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, we do stay within certain boundaries Um, and, um, you know, to take it in mind at the same point in time, I'm working on Guaylo and we're doing eight quarterly releases with that brand. Wow. Four for the Northern Hemisphere, four for the Southern Hemisphere. So at some point in time, my brain's like, you have to compartmentalize. Yeah. Um, so like Ronan literally is a passion project, 100%. Every beer that comes out, like we're deeply passionate about. Um, well, I think it's cool because if it is a passion project. You can allot time for this. Yes. Yeah. You know, where I, I think like Teresa, you probably understand fully where it's like, I need, I, I want to make this beer. Let's just do it and we'll figure it out. Cause I have a thousand other things to do with this brewery. Well, and, and, you know, every time you put out a beer, like it really has to, it has to have a name and a story and something that ties it all together. Like I, I get that. I, I think not every beer that we make is a name that I really believe in and I'm invested in deeply, but a lot of them really are. Yeah. But do you do you go back and rebrew these beers and yeah. keep refining them? You do. That's good. I mean, because I think that that's something that's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit in the craft beer world right now is like brewers seem to not try to go back. You know, they never yeah. they don't try to go back and do something and make it better. They just keep making something new. And I think that's a mistake. I think we should all go back and like really try to make that beer the best it can be and then if you want to leave it behind that's fine but like don't just like every week make something new yep so i mean yes so much so that we i mean we started on the little two and a half three barrel brewery for like i said before we moved here and that still is brewed on a lot and beers are made over and over and sometimes never even see 
the consumer. Sometimes we mm. lab test them and then dump the rest down the drain. Wow. wow. Just to fine tune something. Um, I hope my girlfriend doesn't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can speaking only of passion so much beer yourself, right? Yeah, that's right. She owns 50% of the brewery, so she, she might be a little upset. <laughs> 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 She'll be, um, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, she's the boss, actually. She's CEO of Grown and I am not. Oh. Oversees everything. I I have a smaller role. I am the janitor and brewer. <laughs> In that order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always clean the bathroom first when you come in. Smart. Right. Very smart. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the multiverse lives. Koji beer. What is it? Um, Koji, right? Um, yep. Sorry to interrupt you. No, um, no. I feel like the listeners should pause and go back to the last episode and listen to Josh Hembry from Setting Sun Socket. Um, Josh is a genius, far more smarter than I am. Uh, wish to be at that guy's level one day. Um, but as I was working in Japan, I had the very blessed chance to work with some of the best sake brewers ever in the world. And as we were hanging out, they we started watching their process. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are developing acidity. You're, you know, not just converting alpha amylase. Um, if people don't know what koji is, it's aspergillus oryzae. It's uh, basically rice mold or mold that grows on rice. It also, there are many forms of koji molds or aspergillus. Uh, they use them in miso. Um, they use it for shochu, which is a Japanese distilled liquor. Um, soy sauce. Koji is a beautiful organism. Um, it's <laughs> amylytic enzyme. It breaks down starches. Um, yellow koji is mostly used in sockets. I'm not going to assume what Josh uses, but uh, we use a mutant variety of a white koji um, that we brought back from Japan with us. Um, so instead of kettle souring our beers, we create a koji starter um, on rice. Okay. We have a little koji sauna. Um, it stays at about 120 Fahrenheit-ish. We're about 18 hours to 20 hours for our growth. We basically take rice, we hang it over in the three-barrel kettle and steam it up. Actually, I reached out to Josh and was like, hey, I'm having a hard time finding a giant steamer. And he lent me some tips on how to, over Facebook, on how to uh, do it with our equipment that we already had, nice. which I'm really thankful for. And uh, basically, instead of kettle souring, we add the koji back into the wort in our louder tongue and develop acidity that way. And then we bring it over for a co-fermentation in an open-top fooder. And at that point in time, we draw off of it like a Solera. Randomly, uh, normally we don't do a fruited version, but randomly we were gifted 500 pounds of raspberries from our friends that take our spent grain. They have blueberries and raspberries on their farm here. God, 500 pounds. Just imagine that. Just getting... Hey man, here, you want some some raspberries? And there's 500 pounds. <laughs> they basically were like, "Hey, the bears keep on getting into the raspberries and messing with our animals. So we picked them all. Do you want them?" Wow. And I was like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, so I we, do." Uh, added them into one of our old fruiting tanks from our sour program. Oh, there you go. Okay. And um, did a basically a wine punch down, so the beer was totally fermented. Raspberries were added first. Beer was racked on tap. 
Um, and then daily push down a couple times to reabsolve into the wort and yeah. allow for maximum extraction. And then uh, we racked it off and krausened it with some lager and a little bit of our lager yeast, actually, just to kind of keep mm. it. Um, but we, we feel like there's a really nice ester profile that gets given off. It's not just citric acid. You get a little like um, melon overripe. Yeah. Things. Kind yeah. of thing. Um, like not cantaloupe, but um, what's the other melon that's like, a, like the green? Honeydew. honeydew. Uh, honeydew. Yes. Honeydew. Yeah. So we get a lot of like kind of like cantaloupe honeydew mm-hmm. flavors with it. And um feel like it's a really clean acidity. Um, it is. The koji yeah. process, by the way, is an aerobic process versus an anaerobic. So we don't have to worry about butyric acid or THP production. Um, like a normal like kel sour or something like that would happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, really this wasn't a way for us to make a sour beer fast at all it was more we learned this process while we were in japan really wanted to kind of like we're like hey this is really cool this is a tertiary fermentation or like a co-fermentation basically so let's you know try it out see you know but to where we are at that can you're sitting there that's two and a half years of work wow Uh, dumping batches down the drain. <laughs> Damn, dude. Was the first, what was the first batch like that you made with this? You're like, I can't, I got to throw oh, it away. The first batch was actually awesome. Really? The first batch was tasted on the brewing network by Vinny and Jay and um, everyone on the hop and brew. Oh, so, nice. Oh, that's yeah. cool. And uh, they loved it. And Vinny actually wrote an article in craft beer and brewing about it, naming it his uh, favorite beer of the year. Jeez. Well, look, you made it, Charlie, you made it. Yeah, after two years. <laughs> you made, it just took another man to tell you to write yeah. about you uh that's cool and then uh but you were dumping a bunch of batches what happened there we couldn't replicate the first batch actually. oh bummer <laughs> so then we had to go back look at notes um mm. go through things again basically the first ones were made in 500 liter punchins and then we upgraded the fooders and then we quickly realized that surface area to volume totally changed the ester profile of the beer because of hydrostatic head pressure being put on the yeast. So then we went back to fermenting and punchings and then the beer came back to Got it. Okay. Tasting this beer, uh, is it a, it's a beer, right? Is it a beer? It's a beer. Okay. Uh, t- tasting this beer, it, okay, it tastes like a raspberry, a carbonated raspberry sake. Or like if you take a raspberry, like a raspberry wheat beer, or I don't know, something like with light and flavor, and then you put you sake, use it for sake bomb. Yeah. That's what it tastes like. And it's, so there is that, that koji definitely gives off that traditional sort of sake, like, you know, like you said, the, the esters are there. Um, it's wild, man. That's wild. Yeah. And, it's, and, it, and it is tart. It does clean up after itself. There is some acidity there, but I, you know, I don't know if I would call it sour. Is it sour? It's, I mean, I don't know. It's what? It's 3.3 pH. Oh, that's. But there's. It it doesn't linger on the palate. No. Cloy, it wicks off. So, I I mean, consulting clients, I can't say who. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) It's a major, major brewery. They've been around forever. Erg is in their last name. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Really famous lager brewers and their QC team kept telling me about acidity and how it pulls off the palate 
on this job I was on and that stuck with me big time. Like how acid finishes on the pump hmm. down to on lagers. And we took that approach on all of our beers. So when we went to work with why we, the first time I tasted like actual sake right off of the filter um, at a low filtration rate because mm-hmm. um, all sake is filtered, right? Yeah. Um, it had this really beautiful acidity and ester profile, but it didn't sit on my tongue. And that's when I had this like blow up mind moment. And I'm like, we should really try this in beer. Um, and I, it took me a whole week in my head before I approached one of these guys about what I was thinking. Okay. I didn't want to insult them. Sure. Like, I was like, oh, I am going to bastardize thousands of years of tradition. <laughs> well and that's what i was talking to josh about on on his show you know it was like i call it cultural appropriation but but you know he's a sake like he's a sake brewery so it's not really the same but he did speak upon the tradition of of the sake brewers and bringing it over and advancing it into like the west coast ideal it's not not claiming to be what you know what a traditional sake would be, but it's the it's it's the West Coast version of what he's trying to do, right? So maybe that's sort of you know what you're talking about too. Like you can you can still take inspiration, um, you know, and uh, you're you're sort of uh, using it in a different way. Well, but before I actually asked him for any koji, I'd come back with some of our spontaneous fermented sour beers or wild beers, okay. and I. Uh, you know, this is six months later or something. And I'm like, Hey, so this is what we're working on right now. And I want to find a balance between what you're doing and what I'm doing. This is Josh from setting to this day. It's I mean, this guy, he's got a Netflix documentary about his family. Hmm. Um, it's called the birth of sake. They're super famous. This is who you were talking to. Yeah. We're sitting there oh. at the sake bar in Tokyo. I'm so drunk and I'm like trying to amp myself up to ask this guy for his Koji strains. Yeah. Little did I know that it was actually easier to get than I thought, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm all sitting there, you know, going through this process in my head and I'm drunk and the guy, I call it Gaijin smash. Like Gaijin is like outsider in Japanese. Okay. I get up and I'm way bigger than everyone. And I knock over a table of sake on Miss Sake Japan. I oh. <laughs> just like totally embarrass myself. And I'm like, oh, oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just like think it's hilarious and then I'm like okay I come back from the restroom and I'm like guys here's my idea and they're like oh yeah no big deal and I'd like just worked myself up for six months for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but um so That's you know awesome, it's, uh we I just fell in love with sake while we were out there but I knew that my education level wasn't on the level to be able to replicate sake well Um, to a level that I respected. Um, I love setting sun sake. I think it's gorgeous. It's amazing product. Yeah. Can do what Josh does. Um, so I kind of came up with a hybrid with what I thought was going to be attainable for me. Um, and to kind of speak to the journey we've been through over the last five years. Yeah. I mean, it, it tastes good. It encapsulates all of that. Like you said, especially knowing your history about being from sour beer, you know, it it's that it rides that tart sour beer line where it's more tart than sour, if that's even a thing. 
Um, but the the raspberries are there, of course, and which are hard to do, in my opinion. You know, I've had a lot of raspberry flavored beer, and it's it's not always easy to get like, oh, this is a definable raspberry flavor. But that koji with the sort of you know invokes the sake. This is cool, man. This is a yeah, cool beer. Yeah. I was like, I hope you can try the one day the unfruited version. That one, I'm. I really yeah. wanted to send some, but it just we were like three days behind on canning, and when Bevo sent me an email about. I was like, ah, hey, like, <laughs> like, I'm like, we got to send the beer now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was perfect, man. All arrived cold and, uh, you know, went right into the fridge. So, uh, and I appreciate what you sent. And uh, yeah, one day for sure, man, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. But um, ironically, all the old people up here love it. And really? we have like revolts when we run out of it. They're like, what do you mean you're out of Koji beer? And, it is uh, sort of, I it is sort of like, it is sort of like, like super tart rosé wine kind of vibes. So we realized that it was very approachable to people that weren't beer people. Yeah. Yeah. And then they felt like they were part of the cool kids club or whatever, because it was something new that, you know, and then they would, uh, I don't know. We have a, you know, the demographic that likes it is totally outside of what I thought. Like I was like, we're sending all this beer to Hong Kong. Like this is (laughs) whole palette. We're not going to send a true solid That's what you thought. <laughs> I was 100% wrong. <laughs> uh, I think your girlfriend's in the chat saying that she's watching you, by the way. Uh-oh. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> when you said, I think it was back when you're like, I hope she's not watching. Um, she said, I'm watching, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but she's fine. I'll look at her profile. She didn't say she broke up with anybody yet, so uh, it's fine. Perfect. Yeah, I was like, I, I, think I, I don't have to sleep at the brewery tonight. That's good. No, well, that might not be. That might still have to happen. Uh, Charlie, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. We'll let you go. We're gonna wrap things up. Uh, but thank you very much, man, for sending the beers. Um, I really appreciate it, and uh, they're yeah. tasting great. And I, I, again, man, I, damn, I wish I wish I knew when I was up in Gray Eagle that you were there because uh, I definitely would have stopped by and probably never left. Yeah. Well. We'll, we'll be here next time. So. Okay. Yeah. For the, <laughs> for the next wedding. For sure. Well, I'll send, I'll send my nephew your way for sure. They go up there all the time and I will make, I will make him drink a bunch of Pilsner. Cool. For me. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll make our way down one day. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah. When we open up, definitely come on back. Um, we'll get you on the show proper and get you in the studio and we'll <clears throat> nerd out on some beer stuff. Love it. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Teresa, thanks very much for coming on and supporting me on this journey through uh, through Road and Fermentation Project. It's my favorite thing, of yeah. course. I haven't seen you in a long time, man. I, I, uh, you know. I know. I, I miss you guys. I really want to see you all in person. I know. It'll I'm, happen. I'm re- when, when you guys are ready, just put me in, Coach, because... It'll, it'll just be, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll like, I'll be trying to hug you and then I'll be like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, just, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited and nervous for it at the same time. Like I want it to happen and then I don't want it to happen at the same time. So we'll see. Maybe I don't, there's like a hybrid zoom model, like where if, if the, if the person isn't coming to the studio, we all do zoom, but if they come in, then like we all just go. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. No. Maybe I have ideas. I was, I was like, I got to send them an email with all my ideas. Yeah. Do a little idea dump on you. Sure. Do that. Uh, all right, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning into the session. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Wear a mask. We'll get through this and, uh, we'll see you guys at the next, uh, beer event. It'll probably be virtual. I know uh, NHC is going to be virtual this year. And I think GABF is going to be virtual again as well. 
but they're they're looking at 2022 for opening up. So uh, that'll be cool for GABF. But anyway, uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Take care, and we'll see you later. Justin's in my sky and winning the race. JP does great as his charity.